Twitter actually implemented this really cool technology called Twitter Spaces. It's kind of like their reimagination of Clubhouse. One of the main reasons why I feel like I've been able to connect so well in, in the NFT space with other people is that I invested first in their community before I even chose to speak. I was just simply community building, meeting people, you know, following everybody back and just being part of the community. Then I, when I felt in my soul that it was the right time to drop something, I created the song Metagirl. And I felt like that was a cool way to kind of win some of the, the community over because that's the world that they live in every day. They're literally yep. playing with cryptocurrencies and NFT, NFTs day in and day out. So for them, that song was very, very familiar. So the cool thing is that I was able to migrate a lot of music lovers that heard me sing on Twitter spaces um, to my Discord. If it felt right, and I felt like I wasn't an intruder, I would just throw it out there. I'd go, hey, guys, like you guys have been talking for a while. I think you guys need a music break. The idea of like being a Twitter busker. And so I was Love busking that. all over Twitter spaces. Like I would literally like go into one that said like 100 people, go in and sing a song, I'd leave. And then mm -hmm. go look for another one, 300 people, go in there, sing another one. I'm just blessed that Twitter spaces existed because to have an audio platform, an audio technology that I can showcase my music was the key. I would say, I'd love to sing you guys a song, but just so you know, that song you've been hearing for the past two or three months, you can now buy it as an NFT. And so these people just love collecting. They're literally yeah. avid collectors. So they're like, oh wow. my God, are you serious? Pin something to the top of the room. You could pin a tweet to the top of a chat room Killing. so that everybody in the room can see what everybody's talking about. And it would say minting is now live. You can now buy my music NFT. Click this link. This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features, annual fee unlimited uploads and you keep a hundred percent of your royalties check out districtkid.com what's going on welcome to the new music business i'm your host ari herstand author of how to make it in the new music business the book third edition coming january 2023 look out for that pre-order is starting very soon today my guest is sammy ariaga he is a latin country artist didn't think that genre exists well it didn't really before sammy kind of started it he's a cuban american from miami florida and on this episode he talked all about his journey from american idol to nashville to grinding it out on the strip to a sony record deal to then getting dropped by sony to then going viral on tiktok and then launching an nft and making $250,000 within two months on that NFT completely independently. And he talks about exactly how he did it. And no, it's not because he has a giant fan base. He doesn't. He steps you through exactly how he was successful at everything he did. So if you're interested in any of this, going viral on TikTok or the NFT Web3 community, this is the episode for you. Specifically, if you're into the NFT space, 
NFT for musicians, listen to the very end. Yes, this episode got a little long. This is longer than most of our episodes, but I wanted to keep it going because the real meat, the real juicy stuff we got into, we got into towards the end. So I highly encourage you to listen all the way through to the end. If you got to do it in installments, it will be worth it. And check out Sammy's music. His music's great. Sammy Ariaga, And find him on Twitter and find him on Instagram at Sammy Ariaga. You can find all of us that make the show happen at Ari's Take on TikTok, on Twitter, on Instagram. You can find me at Ari Herstan on Twitter and Instagram. Visit Ari'sTake.com. Get on that email list. That's where you get the most up-to-date information about the new music business and everything that we discuss concerning that please follow or subscribe to this podcast however you're listening to it right now if you just want to pause it real quick and hit the subscribe button hit the follow button and leave us a five-star review on apple Podcasts and spotify yes you can leave reviews on spotify or at least ratings on spotify we'd really appreciate it if you leave us a five-star review if you enjoy the show please leave us a five-star review on both apple Podcasts. let us know what you think and spotify however you're listening to this right now and leave us a review on or a comment on youtube i love leaving those and i try to get back to everyone I can. All right, let's kick into the show. Sammy Ariaga, welcome to the show. What's going on, Ari? How you feeling? Hey, I'm feeling good. Uh, Meta Girl hat. I love that. We're going to talk all about Meta Girl in a little bit. Great song. Um, but I want to start off. Um, you have one of the m- most interesting journeys of a musician out there that, frankly, I've ever heard. Um in the new music business in like the last 10 years you've uh, bounced around and and kind of touched all these different elements of a music career that you could all different elements that we talk about that we usually highlight from various people that do that whether you're a major label artist or you're killing it on TikTok or you do the NFT thing or you're you know but you've touched all of them and have kind of combined it all and i haven't i haven't discovered that or heard seen that from one artist so i'm really excited to dig into all of this today and just to hear about the journey um i don't typically uh start i don't usually ask for the background because i usually like to get into the meat and potatoes right away but with yeah. you, I think the background's really important. So if you could start off and just give us your history in uh, your your career history in music and, and kind of how you got to where you are now and just step us through the journey. That's such an interesting story. Thanks, bro. That was an incredible intro, man. That's, uh, <laughs> man, I, it's incredible. Uh uh, yeah, my name is Sammy Ariaga. As you can tell from my last name, um, I got some uh, Latino roots in me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm from Miami, Florida, from a town called Hialeah. It's a uh, it's it's a it's a running joke in Miami that Hialeah is just a, a different name for Cuba because everybody <laughs> that lives in Hialeah is Cuban, pretty much. Okay. Um, so I was raised on everything but country music. Um, hmm. I, I was raised on salsa, merengue, like all types of Latin Spanish music. And, um, yeah, music wasn't in my, uh, in my tools, like in my, in my liking growing up, it was, I was kind of a geek. I was, uh, I was more into like trading cards and video games and, and whatnot. And, um, I didn't discover music until high school. And mm-hmm. I, uh, I actually met met a, a producer during lunchtime who actually ended up becoming like one of my best friends. Uh, bro- I call him my brother because we're so close. Um, mm-hmm. He was the first one to 
convinced me to start recording in, uh, in what you call a closet vocal booth. Oh yeah. And, uh, we kind of <laughs> just roughed it out, opened garage band, did the whole, the whole thing, found instrumentals on YouTube and started off that way. And, uh, what year are we talking here? What years are we talking that you got started doing this in high school? This was a, I was around maybe 16, 17, um, okay. years old. Yeah. I was in my junior year of high school and, okay. uh, we were just playing around and it started becoming a, an obsession. And, and we're uh, talking like 2000, what, 10, 12, I'd say like eight, nine, eight. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Cool. Eight, nine. Um, yeah. I started off with talent shows, um, choir, sh- choir talent shows as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we would play in like the halftime segment during the dance shows of the high school. Um, mm-hmm. and were and, you doing country at this did, time or what kind of music were you playing? No, no, it was far from country. It was just like pop R and B, okay. um, mm. like, like Usher and like all those R and B boy bands and stuff. So, sure. but yeah, I mean, they started off that way, just talent shows and singing in the hallways and, you know, buying a journal and just writing random words that rhyme together. <laughs> <laughs> of course. And, uh, it was cool, man. I just became an obsession real quick and, you know, started playing locally as well. I started branching out of school, started playing mm-hmm. restaurants and like local sports bars that had like the ability to do open mics and whatnot. Um, sure. but, but I knew that singing was like, it, it quickly became an obsession and my, my passion. And so my dad, um, he suggested that I do the American Idol auditions in 2010 mm. and, um, that those were held in, in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. And, uh, here's a cool story. So during my auditions, before I got the, the ticket to Hollywood, I was in the waiting room about to walk in to sing for JLo, Randy and Steven Tyler. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I was sitting next to a girl in overalls, blonde girl with like hippie kind of things in her hair and, you know, very, very out there. I loved her vibe, you know, very hipster. And she, she sang kind of bluesy and her name was Lauren Daigle. Lauren Daigle out of all the people. Yeah. It's oh, crazy. Wow. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, uh, yeah, me and Lauren auditioned during the same year and, did she uh, make it? A, oh, uh, she did make it to Hollywood, but I don't know if she made it, made it, but, uh-huh. but, but I, I think it's safe to say this after the show, she really did make it. You know right, I mean? right, right. Did she yeah, make it? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I meant to Hollywood, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. But, um, yeah, that's, that's so funny. There, there's so many artists that we don't know, or you know, people don't know about that tried out for one of these TV shows, whether it's American Idol mm-hmm. or the voice or any of the other ones that have come and gone. And then they go on to have a very successful music career. And a lot yeah. of them that I hear about, um, oftentimes don't even get on the televised show and then they become mm-hmm. a huge star after they got kicked exactly. off and they didn't even air it. So, you know, these TV shows are just that TV shows. They're not real, uh, find mm-hmm. the best talent competitions, but how far did you make it on idol? So I, I was able to get the golden ticket that same mm-hmm. season. Um, I made it all the way to top 100 in, okay. uh, yeah, top, no, sorry. Top 200 in Hollywood. Okay. Um, on, into 2010, it was the, the, the year of Scotty McCreary and Lauren Elena. Oh, right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I sang a song that was not, I guess, uh, familiar to them. And, uh, I did, I wasn't, I wasn't passed on to the next round, unfortunately, but, um, that was enough for me to just pack my bags and just do the whole Nashville trip and 
jumped in my car and made the Why'd crazy you trip to Nashville. Nashville? And because actually for those auditions, I chose country music because I felt like the, the genre, even though it has evolved a lot recently, there has been a lot of variety, like, you know, with hip hop yeah. and R and B influences. Sure. I feel like diversity wise, there hasn't been many artists uh, of the black culture, Hispanic culture, Asian culture, even the UK. Like mm-hmm. I want to see more, there's a big, uh, demographic, uh, country music, uh, demographic in the UK. And like, I just want to see more diversity. So that was one of my main reasons for moving to Nashville is to bring awareness to, uh, to, to the country music genre, you know, mm-hmm. that there's a lack of Hispanic representation. So, um, I've been Have here now been... for 12 years with that, that being my goal, you know? Wow. So after, so when you chose to audition for idol, it was a, uh, I guess a calculated move on your part to, to audition with country songs because you mm-hmm. knew it would stand out and you knew that that would help them with your story. And we all 100%. know again, TV shows and, and with the story is so important to like, um, set you apart from everyone else is like, Oh, here's this kid from, um, uh, from Miami, a little Cuba in Miami where it's like, <laughs> and, uh, singing country Pretty music, much. which we, we don't, we don't see, uh, too often. So, so you decided to move to Nashville because you're like, country is going to be my lane. And mm-hmm. when, when you arrived, how many country songs would you say you've written? You'd written at that point. Believe it or not, I hadn't written any country songs. Okay. I just knew a few country songs because I knew that if I was going to step into a different genre that I had never ventured in, that out of respect, I should have, you know, I should know at least a hundred classics you know what yes. i mean yes. um and Definitely. you know it's yeah it's just common courtesy to the genre as well you know walk like for an outsider like me being hispanic and being from miami not country at all you know i want to make sure that i kind of uh defend myself by saying hey i know some waylon i know some right. hank williams i know some johnny cash yeah. and so um it was it, i'm just happy i did my homework because that then led to getting a gig downtown on the in famous on Broadway, Broadway yeah, yep, that's right. And uh, got a, you got got every gig in the book on Broadway. Sure. Played Tootsie's, sure. played Rippies, Hungry Tongue Central, you name it. Yeah. Um, but uh, I'm just happy that I went through all that because you know the Broadway scene really thickens your rhino skin. It makes you tough, you know. Mm. And like you know, there's days that you make good tips, and then there's days that you make zero. And so that was, th- those were trials and tribulations that I did not go through in Miami as a, as a performer. Sure. And so I'm just happy that Nashville kind of pulled out the whip and went, you're yeah. going there today. <laughs> I mean, it is straight up boot camp. Uh, for those of you who haven't been to Nashville or don't understand what we're talking about here, uh, there's one street in Nashville. It's called Broadway. It is aligned with bar music venues uh, for a few blocks. And every essentially every bar is a music venue or doubles as a music venue has a stage and there's music there. I mean, what from noon to two a.m. every day essentially in a lot of these spots. Um, Believe it and, or not, uh, yeah. nine a.m. Nine a.m. Music starts. Nine a.m. Wow. till three in the morning. Yeah. Now, are you just playing for tips at these spots, or do you get a cut of the bar too? Because all these venues are free. It's not like people are paying tickets to get in there. It's just like you know, it's almost like your people the are bar hopping, going in. You see a band there, you buy a couple of drinks, and then they pass the, the bucket around with, for tips. So how did it work for you? There's a small base uh, base pay. 
Oh, there is. Um, okay, cool. Yeah, but it, it's definitely not fair. Um, I will. What are say, we talking? Uh, fifty bucks. I mean, fifty bucks for four hours. For one person or for the whole band? <laughs> for, well, no, no, no. For one person. Okay. But uh, but still, that's like, still that's, not fair. That's uh, yeah. That's, that's fifteen. That's all, that's like fifteen bucks. Not even like twelve yeah. bucks an hour. Yeah. 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 It's rough. Yeah. But, but you can make tips, but it is a grind and it, and it, and it, you know, you cut your chops doing that. So it, it led to something. So, so, uh, what happened next? I, I mean, there's a, there's a Sony record deal somewhere in your near future. I'm curious <laughs> how, how you get there from, from grinding it out on the, uh, on the Broadway circuit. Yeah. I mean, um, the cool thing about Nashville is that it's a very small town despite mm-hmm. it being like a city. Um, it's in my opinion, the, the smallest big town. Uh-huh. That's why that's that's why the band Little Big Town exists. Yep. <laughs> um, but they, they, that's what they named it after. But um, yeah, I mean, I, when I, as soon as I moved here, I was signing up for all like the newsletters and you know what's happening this week in Nashville, and you know where where all these singer songwriters are playing. I would just do my research, and instead of being at home just you know watching TV and doing all that stuff, wasting time. I would go to every event possible. I would just go post up in a corner, shake hands, ask for people's emails and numbers, uh, just support, support other musicians. You know what I mean? Just introduce myself and be like, Hey, I'm Sammy. I'm new to town. I'm a songwriter. I I doubt you'll ever write with me because I'm so new, but like, here's my contact. Let's connect on Instagram. And I was just relentless, man. It was guerrilla marketing, just running all over the town. Mm -hmm. Um, and after a while of doing that, I was, uh, fortunate enough to meet some really powerful players in the game. Um, when it comes to manager managers, booking agents, um, you name it. I mean, anything. Um, and I met this, uh, one young guy, uh, his name was Zach Koffler. He's a a local manager. Um, and we instantly hit it off and, uh, we worked together for quite a while. We worked together for about four to five years and he really shaped me to being, you know, the Nashville artist. You know, he mm. taught me what it's like to be to live in Nashville, what you got to do to to truly like cater to Music Row because Music Row is another strip here in Nashville, which is mm-hmm. it's pretty much the the music industry road where all mm-hmm. the labels, all the publishers are, um, and you know where everybody goes to play their songs and mm-hmm. pitch it to bigger artists in hopes that they get a big cut. Um, music girls where you want to be for, for country music. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he kind of taught me about that. And, uh, you know, throughout the years, I was fortunate enough to be signed to the two booking agencies, uh, CAA and WME. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, uh, I was a little bit in both. And then uh, I was let go by WME uh, one year. Well, before, before that, I'm curious. But, okay. Like I, that's, that's a really big part of the journey. How did you, so what did Zach invite them out and say like, Hey, Sammy's playing the stage from eight to midnight tonight. Come Correct. check him out. That's how Correct. it happens. Yeah. So man, wow. uh, Zach just happened to have a really good friend, actually uh, like uh, a friend from back home um, that act- coincidentally did booking agency stuff here mm-hmm. in Nashville. And he's like, Hey, I want you to come out and check out my new artist that I'm managing. Yeah. You know, he might be cool for the roster and to get him, get him some shows on the road. And cool. so they came by, they checked out the band, even though my songs weren't up to par, they thought there was some potential there. And so at that point, the booking agency was like, Hey, we believe in you. We think you got what it takes to tour, but we got to get your songs better. And so at that point they were able to make some calls to some bigger songwriters cool. 
cool. that I probably would have not have access to. Nice. And because they did it, the yeah. writers were more bound to be like, yeah, sure, I'll write with him. And so mm-hmm. that was kind of like my way in on the writing scene, you know, nice. getting that the stamp of validation from both my manager and my booking agent. And I was able to kind of, you know, make some noise in the writing scene and prove to people that I had some different melodies to offer, different song concepts, you know, especially being from Miami and being right. raised on a different genre. You know, these guys are raised on country music. So the, the way that they emote lyrics and emote melodies are night and day from the way that I would. So it was yep. a cool little marriage there, you know? So mm. that, I had that uh, up my sleeve, which is really cool. And uh, just did that for a ton, like maybe two or three years of like just writing nonstop until I had a catalog of about a thousand original songs. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we sat down with my manager uh, and picked out the best 10 out of the, the thousand. Out of a thousand? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my. That, you know, uh, there it's you go. To dissect. <laughs> I mean, I remember when I was uh, talking with Andy Grammer uh, and how he writes a hundred songs for each album and then picks the best 10. Uh, you're the first person I've heard that's written a thousand songs to pick the first time, but that's great. I mean, you know, that there's your 10,000 hours right there. I mean, if you really want to talk about it, it's just like you're coming from not a country background, but to become a hit country songwriter, that's what it takes. You got to write a thousand country songs with some of the best country songwriters in the world, which are where you live in Nashville. So that's, that's pretty cool. So you, you make your, uh, you pick the 10, That's right. then you decide to cut them. Yeah. So in Nashville, we we have these studio sessions called demo sessions where uh, a studio engineer will hire out a band, like drums, bass, guitar, uh, piano, Mm -hmm. acoustic guitars and whatnot. And they will have a a demo session from like noon to like six. Hmm. And the band just hears an iPhone recording maybe once or twice and like writes down the, the the chords that you played in the iPhone work tape and (laughs) does all the grids and stuff. And like to make sure that they know where all the the changes are and whatnot. And they go into the studio, pick up their instrument and play it as if it's a hit record. Like it's insane. Wow. Wow. Yeah. These guys are insanely gifted. Um, and so I would pretty much call my friend who was a studio engineer who held these demo sessions and I would go, Hey man, I got, I wrote one, I wrote one song this week that I think has the potential to be one of those 10. Uh, can I sneak it into your schedule? Yep. And so you would like pretty much just call the engineer, find a time slot that works for you. And literally I kid you not, like these musicians will play the record from top to bottom in 20 minutes. Wow. Wow. And it'll be done. It'll sound Incredible. like a final, like it'll sound like you just heard <laughs> like a radio. Yeah. Like a radio hit. And then you and come so, in later and and track the vocals. Cut the vocal. Yep. Okay. We gotcha. come in later, cut the vocals, maybe add some like uh, uh, auxiliary, uh, auxiliary. How, how do you say auxiliary? Auxiliary. Uh, in, yeah. Auxiliary yeah. Uh, instruments mm-hmm. like uh, percussion and like saxophone and tr- whatever you want. Sure. And then you would obviously just hire a mixing and mastering engineer and you call it sure. a day. Um, and so that's what I did for a while. And so it really, that really benefited me when it came to like meeting with publishers and record labels, you know, you want to make sure that whenever you present a record that you present it in the, in the right light, you know, because Mm -hmm. that could, that might be the, the one and only light that you'll have with that person. You know, it's, uh, it's kind of like your, your first impression musically. So you want to make sure the bar is set high. Um, and especially with me, my goal was to blend my Latin roots with modern country. 
-hmm. And so I had to find that beautiful synergy of country musicians with Latin musicians Mm. and create that marriage so that when I presented it to the labels, they knew what the vision and the, you know, the algorithm was there. (laughs) So then did you take these 10 songs and just start shopping on music row? Is that how it went? Yeah. So, um, that's pretty much what we did. Zach went around with me and we just met with every publisher in town mm-hmm. and showed them my, 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 you know, my skills when it comes to writing in hopes that I can land a publishing deal because in Nashville, it's pretty common that a new artist that comes to town will start by getting a publishing deal mm-hmm. because the publishers have the keys to producers and a and uh. to then get you the record deal. Record deal. It's all, sure. it, it all works as a perfect symbiosis. Um, yeah. and so, uh, I started off that way in 2015. I was fortunate enough to have met, um, somebody from the Sony ATV department. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, at the time I was actually working with a brand new manager. His name was Charles Chavez out of LA. Okay. Um, he had discovered me through a Gibson, writing camp that was held in Beverly Hills for the Latin market. I was actually mm-hmm. writing Spanish music that week. Wow. And, uh, he heard my stuff and thought, Hey, uh, I've never done, I've never worked on a country artist, but I specialize in Latin music and, you know, pop records and stuff globally. Um, I think it'd be cool to like shop you in Nashville as my first Nashville act and see what I can do with you, you know? Sure. Um, and so I gave it a shot. And sure enough, two weeks later, you know, we managed to land a deal, uh, a, a writing deal uh, with uh, Sony ATV Global out of New York mm-hmm. City. Um, wow. And then that just kind of became a domino effect. And mm-hmm. we got the Sony Nashville record deal shortly after that. Nice. Um, and uh, yeah, and then when I signed to Sony Nashville, um, I, I was working with uh, the A&R team there and kind of told them what the vision was. And mm-hmm. they were they were kind enough to let me use a producer that I enjoyed working with, which is pretty rare. They usually pick out the producer for you, but um, mm-hmm. I was able to have some flexibility there. So I I, mm-hmm. I, uh, I used my friend Brad Hill and Lalo Guzman to co-produce my uh, my first major label EP on Sony Nashville. That's and uh, it was a it was a six song project. Yep, it's called Meet in the Middle. Mm-hmm. Six song project that really showcased you know that that fusion between my Latin upbringing and uh, pop country sure. and uh unfortunately the, the the relationship with sony nashville was short-lived and uh the ep came out and like a few months later we were actually let go by the record label so we're talking this is 2017 the ep is released um and how did that happen so they put the ep out and it like no major hits came from that or whatever they probably weren't pushing it um and then from how long are we talking from when it was released to when the relationship ended to when they're like, you know what, this isn't working out anymore. You're dropped. Oh man. It was pretty instant. Um, it was, uh, <laughs> wow. Oh yeah, it was, it was, it was relentless. I mean, they had, they hadn't put a dime into marketing, into radio, yeah. into nothing. I, I literally just Oof. got out the studio, sent them the email that the songs were done. And within the two months of being, ready with the project they were like hey we ran the project by the team and it seems like the team is not vibing with it you know i don't know if this is if this project is you know exactly what we envisioned you know we're gonna let you walk away wow and so so at the time i was like 
wow, after all that work, you're just going to like end it just like that. But, mm -hmm. but looking back now, it was the biggest blessing. Oh yeah. It was such a huge blessing. So that never happens. And you know that <laughs> I, I know, I know. I mean, a lot of times they'll lock you in, uh, for years and they'll shelve your record and they won't release right. it. And they'll say, yeah, well, you're under contract and you know, we're not, because a lot of the times the major record labels don't want to release an artist because they don't want to make the bad call if where another label picks them up and they become a huge star, then they're the idiots over here that let this huge star go because they couldn't figure out how to make it happen. So that's why oftentimes, more times than not, labels don't just drop or release the artist. They hold on to them for as long as they possibly can. I mean, even if you look at like Megan The Stallion, who is already a huge star, what they're doing with her is she turns in a record and they're like, and they release this full length album. And uh, then they're like, oh yeah, this, by the way, doesn't count towards your, uh, towards your quota of what you, of the number of albums that you're supposed to turn in. And they find some dumb loophole. They're like, well, because it wasn't all original uh, recordings for newer, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter. Labels make yeah. all these slimy, slimy tricks to lock yep. their artists in for as long as possible. Um, and they, you know, what's called shelving the album where they sometimes never even release it and just kind of keep you in there uh, in, in this purgatory. So, uh, so fortunately they released you, they said, okay, you, we're going to let you walk away. So I'm assuming they, you know, they'll keep the rights to meet in the middle that they put out, but all future music, you can do whatever you want. You can just like record and release on your own. Is that right? Yeah. So the cool, the cool thing is, um, is that Sony, not, not only were they, uh, generous enough to let me walk away, but I was in a really luxurious spot where, you know, the money that they had, offered to record this project um they were kind of left with that uh with that debt um i didn't right. have to pay back um so they the gave you an advance and uh correct. they normally you would recoup that um but if they drop you then it's kind of over and and unlike a, a bank that, loan yeah. yeah that's right it's a blow that they had to take and um, sure. but it's cool because you know it, I saw it as a compliment. I saw it as a compliment, you know, from above that it was like, look, Sammy, I'm going to prove to you that you have what it takes to be on those labels. There you go. But I'm not going to lock you into a label. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so I, it took me a while to really lock that in my head because, you know, I, I just come from a very, you know, big city mentality. I'm prideful. I'm hungry. I want to win. And sure. like, you know, when something like that happens, I'm, I felt like, how could you, but mm -hmm. at this, you know what I mean? But at the end of the day, I, like it's, it was the biggest blessing, you know? So move, moving on from that, um, from that point on, I was fully independent. I kind of regained ownership of all my masters. Um, not my publishing. Cause I was still signed to the publishing side of things at Sony yeah. TV in New York. Mm -hmm. Um, but I was like, you know what? I'm not going to let this stop me. I'm going to release the stuff that I want to release, uh, mm -hmm. sonically. Um, and I started dropping songs left and right, uh, started with a song called break up a band. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I produced that one with my friend, uh, Lalo Guzman. He's a mm -hmm. killer producer here in town. And, uh, it did really well, you know, starting off for an independent artist, I felt really happy with how it did. Um, and, and what that, were their marketing, um, and, and promotional, uh, things that you were doing to, if it did really well, what does that mean? Honestly, man, I was just kind of going by Spotify and Apple music numbers, you know, as, okay. you, you know, as every other, every other sure. artist kind of looks at. Um, but, uh, I, 
fortunately had platforms like Instagram. I had mm-hmm. Facebook. Um, believe it or not, it, TikTok wasn't around like when I was sure. dropping those masters um, on my own. Um, but I had a pretty good uh, like social presence in Nashville, so I was playing okay. the song out in town as well at all my shows. Cool. cool. Um, and so it was, it was more of an organic thing. It, um, I really don't like. I get it that marketing is very important, but at the end of the mm-hmm. day, like uh, everything you've seen on you know online, you know my Spotify, Apple Music, all that stuff. Most of the times, I'm not paying a dime for marketing. Okay, um, it's all just been my fans and just my supporters, really you know, telling their friends about the music and mm-hmm. just streaming the living crap out of the music. You know, I've just been, a, I've, I've been really grateful with how, you know, with, with, with the fan base that I've been able to. So were the, with, but I'm, I'm looking at your numbers, um, you know, in these songs and, and like, yeah, they're, they're, you know, we're talking hundreds of thousands of streams, which is um, great, but you know, that doesn't, that doesn't pay your bills. So talk to me about, no. um, you know, you're getting a great response, but in the grand scheme of things, like, are you making a living? Yes. So, um, of course, like you said, streams are very, you know, volatile. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> They're not something you could depend on for, uh, you know, to make a living on unless you're in the hundred millions, you know what I mean? Right. But at that right. point, you know, most those numbers are usually, you know, from artists that are locked into these crazy deals. But, sure. um, while I did that, I mean, I was still performing a lot in Nashville. I was still okay. playing those cover gigs in different locations. Yep. Um, there's a place uh, here in Nashville called Opryland Resort. Um, and I had worked there for quite a while. I mean, I was there for about four years. Um, I was on their artist roster where, you know, they'd have me perform four straight hours of cover music from like two to six. Wow. And then sometimes from seven and seven and 11. Yeah. And uh, I mean, th- there was some brutal days, man. That was, I'll never forget. That was one day that I played uh, a total of 12 hours at the Oof. same place. Ooh. Yeah. nonstop. Just a lot that of water, is... yeah. a lot of breaks, but, uh, you know, sometimes you got to do what you got to do to pay those bills, you know? So, there you go. um, so fast forward me to, yeah. uh, I mean, you had some TikTok success. So tell me how you got into the TikTok realm and, uh, and what that all looked like. Man, it was, it's funny because I had a lot of friends from Nashville that hopped on a TikTok train pretty early on. Um, We're talking but, uh, how early, was, late 2019, early 2020 or? Well, yeah, they, they got on like, like 2019. Okay. I didn't discover it till 2020. Okay. Um, I believe April of 2020 to be exact. Um, cool. And I started off with the world's cringiest dance. <laughs> oh you were dancing yeah. you- <laughs> oh man no yeah are you a dancer can you break out some moves nope not having no. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. no. Uh, but you yeah started with, started the dance. with the dance just thinking Naturally. thinking that that would trigger my algorithm you know whatever it right. took to break it and uh just did the whole like pull up the what's trending and try to imitate what's trending and all that stuff sure. did that for about three four months and uh wasn't really clicking you know it was yeah. just kind of like 10 views here 20 views here 35 yeah. views there i i would even get happy if i got 100 i was like oh sh- snap like i got yeah. 100 and uh i just kept going you know i kept posting like a ton of stuff i kept posting cover videos of me singing cover songs mm-hmm. and then uh 
fast forward from April till December 2020. Yep. I just uh, I, I called my friend Ashley Cook, who's a killer singer songwriter here in town. Uh, and she knew she knows all the tricks. You know, she, she was already on TikTok quite a bit. Um, and I told her, I'm like, hey, look, I'm trying to do what you're doing where you import your demo audio into mm. TikTok so that I could lip sync over my demo. How yeah. do you do that? Yeah. And she's like, well, this is the trick. And so she taught me the trick on how to like play your song while it's on Dropbox. You do a screen recording with your volume all the way up. And then once you're done, uh, you know, once you hit that mark where you want to finish the, the audio sound, you hit stop. And then you upload that as a private video on TikTok. She gave me the whole the whole step by step. And then I'm like, okay, I have it in the system now. Let me go do a, an actual video and lip sync over my demo. So I went to my kitchen, found found a well lit spot, and uh, it was my song "Take My Phone." Mm-hmm. It hadn't been out yet. It was unreleased. It was just a demo on my Dropbox, <laughs> and I kid you not, Ari. Overnight, we got one point. 2 million views. Whoa. Yeah, it overnight. was insanity overnight. It was like, That's nuts. I went from having a page that only got like 200, maybe a hundred views per video to yeah. having like 1.2 million. I had never in my life seen my phone blow up the way that it did. It was insanity. Yeah. And so I just kept pumping the, the song that same week. I just kept, did pumping you release it? it? I did that same Friday. <laughs> I dropped it. There you go. Yeah. We're, yeah. And, uh, We've been blessed, man. That song's been out now for almost a year and a half. And mm-hmm. uh, it's it's already gotten about 1.8 million plays on Spotify, about 1 million on Apple Music, half so a you million knew on YouTube. At the time, yeah. you knew that you were in a moment, that uh, the song was blowing up. It wasn't released yet. So you quickly, what service did you use to get it out that quickly? I luckily was using a distribution company called Command Shift. Okay. Uh, they got a few locations. They have one here in, in Nashville. Sure. Um, and I have uh, a rep there that I hit up whenever I need something like this to uh, to occur. And I'm like, hey, here's the wave. Here's the title of the song. Here are the writers. Do your thing. Yeah. This needs to be out by Friday, no matter what. Yeah. And if you could get it out sooner, do do it sooner. Yeah. And they're like, Sammy, like if we do it this week, you won't get on the release radar. You won't get yeah. on the editorials. Like yeah. we can't do it this quick. And I'm like, I don't care. We can't lose yeah. this virality. Smart. And so they dropped it and the people just ran with it. Mm-hmm. And I, I had a pre-save link. And I will say it, that was one of the most important things to have is the pre-save link. Um, I tell all my friends that reach out to me when it comes to like, you know, posting about songs that aren't mm-hmm. released yet. Don't post about it unless you have somewhere to leave them. Mm. Because if you can get 8,000, 7,000 pre-saves on a song, when the yep. song drops, you don't have to go and do your, you know, go, go on your comments and go, Hey, it's out. You don't got to do that. Cause it's automatically going to save to their playlist. So Definitely. if you can have that link ready in your bio or, you know, under your profile picture, ready to click so that in your video, you can go pre-save in my bio. Yep. You have to have that ready, you know, right. because you don't want to miss out and get a 4 million viewed video without anywhere to leave the them. song. Right. Like they can't find the song. Milk 
quick, I want to let you know about Two Lost. Two Lost is a new distribution company to the space. And let me tell you, I am very impressed with them. I, I got a full deep dive demo with the founder. And yeah, they're very innovative. And when you come into the distribution space at this stage with how crowded it is, you better be innovative. And they are. Yes, they will get your music out to Spotify, Apple Music, all the places, plus 450 other outlets around the world. They do not take a commission. This is why 300,000 artists and labels have already used them. They've already distributed 7 million songs. They offer payment splitting, and they don't charge your collaborators for this service, for the payment splitting. They will just pay your collaborators directly for free. They have publishing administration with... BMG, so you know it's legit. A lot of distributors have have fallen into trouble with using some other uh, less than legit pub admin services. Well, Two Loss is partnered with BMG. You know it's legit. They offer instant royalty advances. Uh, this is something that's very cool. And if you have historical streaming data and you need just a bulk payment up front, they can see how much your music has earned in the past. I'm like, all right, we think we know what you're going to earn in the next three years. Here's a check for 100 grand or whatever it will be. And you can just click a button and get that distributed and um, into your account immediately. They do lyrics and credits distribution for free. They have a very innovative analytics platform where, yes, you will see real-time analytics for Spotify, Apple Music, but also Pandora Deezer, SoundCloud, and Peloton. They're the only ones that do Peloton. Uh, they also have a service where you can search the internet wherever your music is being used, and it will just show you a chart of everywhere, every TikTok video, everywhere, every YouTube video, everywhere your music is possibly being used. I I've never seen this before. That was very cool. They'll register with SoundExchange, and they have a fraud prevention tool, and they're doing fraud prevention. So if you're worried about your music, you know, getting a bot attack or something like that and getting ripped down, which we've seen is a big issue. Uh, they have fraud prevention tools that are better than most other distributors that I have seen. Check out Two Lost. You can just go to twolost.com. Use the promo code Ari's Take for three months free and try them out. Let them know what you think. So, yeah, um, incredible. So, I mean, that's we're talking this is what is this 2021 at this point yeah. or so yeah, I would when say this is all popping off 2021 yep yeah yep um so this is happening and then uh a normal person would be like i did it i cracked it i got it all i got to do is keep doing these tiktoks and the streams are going to roll in and everything like that but then you decided to then pivot yet again and tell me about how you got into NFTs. And now I need, we got to do a deep dive into this journey because uh, this is, uh, I mean, the numbers and just like the journey that you you did with, with NFTs and, and I want to hear all about it. So tell me, tell me how you discovered all this and jumping into that. Yeah, man. So uh, I did the TikTok thing for about a year and a half. Um, still doing it, um, but sure. not to, you know, to the same, to the same level. Um, yeah. but, uh, last October I was in Miami and one of my good friends, Lalo, um, he is, uh, one of my childhood mu music collaborators. 
mm-hmm. um and uh Lalo he's Guzman, the producer that you've been working with or a no different it's Lalo? actually a, a different lalo yeah how many lalos is <laughs> they're this? everywhere man there, there's so <laughs> okay. many lalos in my got life it. i got lalo <laughs> guzman i got lalo jaramillo <laughs> cool. but uh yeah man i got uh, yeah so i met up with him in miami and mm-hmm. we were just talking and he was like look i've been doing this thing lately called uh it's called nfts you know these yeah. these little images are called nfts um where you tokenize uh your art pretty much or anything you can literally mm-hmm. tokenize anything um and he's like i really think you should consider studying about nfts and about web3 it's the next evolution of the internet mm-hmm. um and i think it'll benefit you especially with the fan base that you've been able to acquire from tiktok um you have he's like i think you have a very loyal fan base and i think the concept of digital collectible is something that they would be willing to to support you in um so he's like let me give you a little rundown so i we we got coffee and he he gave me the 101 and uh downloaded all the apps that were required to dive into this this new world and uh started jumping into web3 uh in other words, NFTs and crypto started mm-hmm. really getting involved into investing into cryptocurrencies um, and then learning about how to invest into NFTs, because in order to buy an NFT, you need a cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been instances already that you can actually buy an NFT with USD, but at the time it was strictly cur- cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, believe it or not, Twitter is uh or has become the main hub for NFTs at the moment. Sure. Um, all these projects are dropping on Twitter and they're creating Discord channels, which was commonly used in the gaming scene. And now they're very commonly used in the NFT scene mm-hmm. for projects to kind of stay in touch with their communities and keep everybody updated. But um, in November of 2021, I, that's when I started making my first NFT investments. Um, I didn't come into the space with the mentality of I'm going to start selling something. Uh, I came in with the mentality of I want to be a consumer. I want to see what it's like to to be the fan, to be Mm -hmm. the consumer first. And so I took out some money from my savings um, because the rule is don't ever only only spend what you can afford to lose. Sure. It's like and gambling. so I started, it's like gambling, <laughs> literally. Yeah. I was, I was trying not to use that word, right. but yes, it is kind of, yeah. But, uh, but yes, I started investing into NFTs. I started like doing my research and looking into some projects that spoke to me and resonated with me. And how um, would you find these projects just on Twitter? You'd be in, uh, these communities and someone would be promoting their NFT and you say, Oh, that sounds interesting. And you just go buy it. Yeah. So Lalo uh, gave me some points to start, you know, he told me some accounts to kind of follow, you know, like Twitter, like, let's say you follow 10 accounts and Mm -hmm. then it'll kind of give you a suggested. So then once I saw the suggested, I just kind of like started spam following and just, just so I could be in the know of what's happening. Um, And then Twitter actually implemented this really cool technology called uh, Twitter spaces. Yeah. And uh, Twitter Spaces is kind of like their reimagination of Clubhouse. Mm-hmm. If you guys know what Clubhouse is, it's, it's uh, audio. Uh, it's it's essentially social audio, and so there's no video, uh, and you can just tap into a group 
and you can either just listen. It's almost like panel discussions at a conference, but just an audio form. And you can kind of raise your hand to come up on quote unquote stage or just like, you know, they can call you up and you can join the conversation audio only. Correct. Yeah. So luckily I had that uh, at my disposal uh, when I first jumped in. So going back to Sammy, when he first moved to Nashville, yeah, I kind of tapped, I tapped back into that version of me and I raised my hand in every room. Yeah. I was nice. like, Hey guys, Hey guys, nice. Hey guys. It was nonstop. <laughs> and, uh, luckily I had a verified account. And so, you know, they were very, uh, they, 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 they just love the verification badge. So I got really lucky with that. Thank God. Even though mm-hmm. I don't, I think verification badges are dumb, but, um, but yeah, it's a social uh, currency that some people a, respect. So there you exactly, go. Exactly. Exactly. It doesn't make anybody better than anybody else. Right. Um, but, uh, got up on stage, said hello, told them what I do. And, you know, one little thing that I did that I feel like was a, one of the main reasons why I feel like I've been able to connect so well in, in the NFT space with other people is that I invested first in their community before I even chose to speak. So on Twitter, you have the ability to not only change your profile picture, but they just implemented that you can validate that you have their NFT with a hexagon. Right. And so I made my NFT, my, yeah, my profile picture, my NFT. So it shows that I not only have their NFT, but it shows as a hexagon. So it's proof that I have it. Right. And so when I raise my hand and ask to speak, the first thing they say is, oh, wow, you have one of our NFTs nice to meet you cool. and so like they're way more receptive and way more cool and laid back and so i kind of a- approached the space in that light early on didn't wasn't asking for anything i was just simply community building meeting people you know following everybody back and just being part of the community you know what i'm saying sure. so um did that for about three four months and then i when i felt in my soul that it was the right time to drop something Yep. And, uh, and to create a song that was kind of catered to the crypto NFT space. Mm-hmm. Um, I went ahead and did that. Um, I created the song meta girl and I felt like that was a cool way to kind of win some of the, the community over because that's the world that they live in every day. They're literally yep. playing with cryptocurrencies and NFT, NFTs day in and day out. So for them, that song was very, very familiar. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what I did. I dropped Meta Girl in February and uh, I was very blessed that all the 2022, correct? Mm-hmm. And I had uh, I was very blessed that all the communities that I had invested in and spent so much quality time with, um, they came through. You know, they, how they do you came promote through. that? How did you like how, yeah, explain how they came through and how did you even let them know uh, that you have this this new NFT in the form of a song? So the cool thing is that I was able to migrate a lot of music lovers that heard me sing on Twitter spaces um, to my Discord. Wait, you I would already... sing on Twitter spaces? You left that right. part out. So yeah, I, I yeah. thought you would raise your hand and you'd just be like, hi, I'm Sammy Musician. Let's talk NFTs. But you would say, hi, I'm Sammy. I'm a musician. Can I play a song? Yeah. Every once in a while. If, oh, uh, if it, man. If, if, if it felt right and I felt like I wasn't an intruder. I would just throw it out there. I'd go, Hey guys, like you guys have been talking for a while. I think you guys need a music break. There you go. And so, and so I would just go and plug myself and sing my tunes. And 
after a while of doing that, there wasn't a lot of people doing that early on, like around October, right. November, December. Um, and so I kind of created the, the idea of like being a Twitter busker. <laughs> and so I was Love busking that. all over Twitter spaces. Like I would literally like go into one that said like a hundred people go in and sing a song. I'd leave and then mm -hmm. go look for another one, 300 people go in there, sing another one. Nice. And then I go, I just like busk and busk and busk. And I did that. I, I did that for a while. And until I felt like a lot of people were just familiar with who I was and what I did. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm just blessed that Twitter spaces existed because yeah. I mean, it's uh, to have an audio platform, an audio technology that I can uh, showcase my music was, uh, was the key. It was literally the key of it all. Um, so then when you so, yeah. dropped this NFT, uh, did you, go into the same Twitter spaces and say, Hey, can I play a song? Yes. By the way, you can buy this as an NFT right now. Correct. So there was times in which like, let's say I would hop up on a stage and people would go, Hey, it's Sammy. What's up? Are you going to sing us a song? And I'm going to go. And, and I, and I would say, yeah, uh, I'd love to sing you guys a song, but just so you know, that song you've been hearing for the past two or three months, you can now buy it as an NFT. And so these people just love collecting. They're literally yeah. avid collectors. So they're like, oh wow. my God, are you serious? Pin something to the top of the room, which is something that you can do on Twitter spaces. You could pin a tweet to the top of a chat room Killer. so that everybody in the room can see what everybody's talking about. Wow. Um, yeah. So I would pin my tweet and it would say minting is now live. You can now buy my music NFT click this link and then it and were you sending them to where open C or nifty gateway or what was the marketplace you're using for metagirl for this so it started off as a custom website um people would buy it first from my website before it went to secondary so the website Whoa. acted as my primary so let me get this straight because i've done quite a bit of research on nfts i've we've had a bunch of guests talking about nfts uh every nft i've ever heard of has sold it on a marketplace like a OpenSea or a Nifty Gateway or, you know, Quincy Jones has his one of, or, I mean, there's endless, countless marketplaces out there. I, you're saying you didn't use one of these marketplaces. You had your own website that you could sell it directly. I don't even know how that worked. How do you even make something like that happen? Yeah. So how it works is um, the structure for the new like NFT website is that mm -hmm. they'll have the ability for you to connect your crypto wallet prior to entering the website. Whoa. So right when you enter, let's say the Board Ape Yacht Club, let's say the Board Ape Yacht yeah. Club is minting. Mm -hmm. um, right when you enter their website, it'll give you a prompt and it'll say, hey, welcome to the Board Ape Yacht Club website. We, we are now minting. In order to mint, you need to connect your wallet. And okay. so that acts as the primary marketplace before the wallet, it goes on like secondary. A, a, a metamask uh Correct. something like that where if you have uh, a coinbase wallet, yeah okay. coinbase wallet trust wallet there's all kinds but gotcha. once you connect your wallet it'll it'll analyze how much crypto you have in your wallet and then it'll tell you okay minting is now live how many do you want mm. and so then you can pick whatever they decide to give you some, sometimes people will limit it at five. Sometimes they'll do 10. Sometimes they'll do 20. I did five for my project. So people would just go one, two, three, four, five, confirm the gas fee prompt will pop up for your wallet and your Ethereum. You'll, if you like the gas fee, you hit confirm. It'll analyze. And once the confirmation goes through on the blockchain, it'll 
drop so the just NFTs to get into, into the, your crypto wallet. To get into the uh, mechanics a little bit deeper with this, uh, when you say it, it's minting, uh, when you launched this, I believe you had uh, 3,500. Is that is that correct? 3,501? Correct. I was, yeah, the goal was to, yeah. So I, my collection consisted of 3,501 initially. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the time of sellout, we decided to close the mint at 1500 to uh, focus on the next song and yep. also to create more scarcity yep. for the Genesis holders. So, okay. So you, and when you launched this, just so I can understand how the mechanics work, um, you didn't actually mint anything in advance. You uh, had people come in, click mint this and then would you actually it would get created on the spot on the blockchain and then get sent to them is that is that how it works correct wow yes. it gets okay. transferred from like it gets transferred from where all the files of all the nfts are yep. it pulls it out of that file and then it'll drop it into their crypto wallet but the okay. but the nft will not appear on the secondary market which is open c or coinbase yeah. nft mm-hmm. until somebody decides to resell it Oh, okay, so I was looking at OpenSea um, earlier, and I was noticing that uh, there are—I mean, there's quite, there's almost fifteen hundred. I mean, there's one thousand four hundred ninety-nine items of here of your MetaGirl um, on OpenSea. So you're saying all of these people have essentially relisted it on OpenSea? This is now the secondary market. So that's the total collection. Okay. You're able to see it once after sellout, you're able to see all the images on OpenSea, oh. every individual one. Um, but if you hit the buy now tab on the top left where it says status, uh-huh. you hit buy now, it'll give you a number. It'll say, et cetera, items. Mm. And I think right now it says 39 or 40. 34 that I'm seeing right 30, now. Yeah. 34. See, so there's out of 1,500, only 34 are listed on the floor at the moment. I gotcha. Oh, okay. So OpenSea can catalog they're basically doing their own search of the blockchain of ethereum and they're seeing oh this item there are 1500 on the blockchain we only have 34 on OpenSea available right now if you want to buy it correct i'll give you a perfect example here we go urban outfitters is the you know what not urban outfitters let's say certa mattress like you're buying a mattress sure certa mattress has certa.com so you go to certa.com and you can buy it straight off their website. Yeah. But you got a you got a website like Amazon hmm. that can also buy certa mattresses and then resell them on their platform through yep. what's called the secondary marketplace. That's the exact situation that happens with NFTs. NFTs uh-huh. will have their own site where they'll sell all the first all, the whole collection first until sellout. And then once they're done with sellout, they'll turn off their mint button. Yep. And then they'll focus solely on the secondary market, which is OpenSea, LooksRare, et cetera. And you get um, paid from the secondary market too. You're making a percentage for every sale, right? That's right. Yep. You you could actually set that yourself. Mm. Um, It's custom. Um, I believe OpenSea allows up to a 10% creator creator fee. Okay. Um, I myself have a 10% for my collection. Um, I've seen other collections that I'm a part of being 7.5, 5 or 5%. It all depends on the founders. I've seen and, 20% you know, on different marketplaces. So I didn't realize OpenSea yep. was capped at 10%, but I mean, you can go up even higher. So you sold it on, uh, what was the primary sale price for on your website? 
So uh, for pre-sale, for those mm-hmm. who reserved a spot on the on what's called the whitelist, uh, okay. a whitelist is a spot where you are pretty much you're reserving a spot to uh, mint the NFT for a mm-hmm. discounted price. Okay, cool. That's what whitelist means. So if anybody lands a whitelist spot, that means that they're going to be able to mint for a discounted price. Okay. And before anybody, how- before anybody else, before it goes public. Got it. And how much was that? That was 0.05 Ethereum. 0.05 Ethereum. And how many of those did you sell? We sold a thousand units in under 48 hours. Incredible. Wow. Okay. A thousand units and at 0.05 Ethereum equals how many USD? What at the time that you were selling this? I don't even. I would say. What is it? 3,000 at the time? Yeah, it was like 3,000 at the time. And you do 0.05. That's $150 times a thousand. That was $150,000 in two days. $150,000 in two days. Uh, wow. And okay. And, and what was included in this NFT? Uh, what, what was this? Um, I, I'm looking at it right now. And it's kind of this like, it's, it's, a, it's a cool visual uh, visual art piece here that's seven seconds long, but like, how is it attached to the song? And, and were there any other uh, perks that you got by by being an owner of the NFT? Yeah, so uh, Met- the Metagirl illustration that you're seeing on OpenSea was inspired mm-hmm. by uh, how things that once they're recorded on the blockchain, they are what you call immutable. As in, like, once they're recorded on the blockchain, you cannot change it. Right. Right. Um, so I felt like there was something beautiful there when it came to love. Um, and imagine love being written on the blockchain. It would be indestructible. It would be never-ending. You know what I'm saying? And so I instantly came up with the concept of a, bi- a, beating, di- a beating digital heart mm-hmm. that no matter what destruction would come through the earth, it would forever keep pumping and, and, and mm. keep beating. Um, love prevails, literally. That's the that's what that heart represents. Mm-hmm. Um, even if the apocalypse were to fly through, the heart still remains. Nice. And so, um, I've always been a fan of steampunk art. Um, cool. And which is like you know kind of like the vibe of, the, of what the heart you're seeing. Um, yep. And a good friend of mine that I had met in the in the in the time that I was. Uh, investing into nfts his name is hattie the creator and he was actually a, the original artist of a collection called the apocalyptic apes they all they also just released a, a collection called the queen apes um some of the best art in the game in my opinion mm-hmm. um and uh hattie uh happened to have listened to my music during the time and uh, him and his family became uh fans of my music and he was very generous and said, Hey man, I would love to help you out in some way. Let me know. I I'm a huge, my daughter loves your music. Let's cool. collab. And so I'm like, cool, man. Like I actually have a song coming out. This is the idea I had for it. You know, maybe you can mock up a heart for me, like a steampunk cool. post-apocalyptic yeah. heart in the desert somewhere. Yeah. And so, and so I sent them some examples of what I was thinking about and he's like, all right, give me a few days and I'll mock up something. And so you know, with a little back and forth and, you know, a little creativity, we came up with the, the post-apocalyptic digital heart. 
And that's what you're cool. saying. So, so cool. Yeah. So, so you get the heart. Now I read something on your, your website that you get, um, your digital key to a curated NFT music experience. Um, you get colored ETH jewels, you can unlock exclusive recordings, remixes, music videos, interviews, custom merch. You can enter the infinity gauntlet, collect all five colored ETH jewels to complete the MG infinity gauntlet to earn the beatbox. Can you explain all this? I got you, brother. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, when you hit play on the recording, if you go back to OpenSea and you hit play on the recording, you will mm-hmm. actually notice that if when you zoom in, like when you full screen the, the NFT, mm-hmm. oh, you actually might have to refresh the metadata. I'll teach you a little something here. Click outside okay. of that. Okay. And then on the top right above where it says hashtag 993, there's a little squiggly, a little circle squiggly. Mm-hmm. The first one. Yep. Click okay. that. And then refresh your screen. Sometimes the metadata might bug out. Interesting. Should I try it again? Uh, just uh, try to go to a different listing. Okay. Sometimes some sometimes OpenSea can get a little buggy because of okay. the activity on the blockchain. Gotcha. Interesting. So oh, there you go. Oh, that's a different one. That's cool. Yep. So there you go. So that is actually the 3D version of the digital, oh, digital cool. part. Yeah. And so that was and his song's playing. Okay. Sick. That's right. Yep. So the full song of Meta Girl is attached to that NFT. Mm -hmm. Um that uh if we if you look closely, there's a there's a jewel on the heart, and that's actually the Ethereum jewel. Um it's the same Ethereum. Yeah. And so we decided that, you know, in this post-apocalyptic world, this heart literally pumps on ethereal energy. (laughs) <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, so I wanted cool. to kind of keep that theme going, especially since mm-hmm. this is my first uh, release on the Ethereum blockchain. Um, and so if you notice, this is a yellow one, but throughout the collection, we actually have four different colors. We have four, uh, yellow, purple, red, green, and blue. Okay. Um, and we, we made it where if anybody were to collect all five colors, they win an IRL merch box, an, uh, an actual physical oh. merch box mailed to their door. Yep, there it is. Wow. Yep. So this green. is the green one. Cool. Yeah. That's right. Yep. yep. And so they they interchange, you know, throughout the collection. And so gotcha. if you know you were to collect all five, you win what's called the gauntlet box, uh-huh. uh, the beat the beat box as well. Uh, we we had different names for it. The, co- the the community just loved renaming it, but yeah. um, it was initially called the beat box, like a heartbeat. Sure. Um, and so they're pretty much just boxes with uh, custom uh, merch like hoodies t-shirts ball physical caps, stuff we're talking beanies yeah uh physical uh so like the hat you're wearing right now the meta girl hat yeah like this okay. kind of hat yeah correct yeah. um and you would send and, it to them they could they could redeem this yes yeah, so uh, once they collected all wow. the five colors they would get an actual box with stickers um okay. a thank you card with my signature and a, th- a personal thank you thank you note for being cool. a collector um and uh yeah, I mean, and we we had a deadline on Mar- by March fifteenth. You had to collect all the colors. Gotcha. So cool. that only applied for everybody before March fifteenth. Um, so um, anybody that collected all five before that deadline received the box in the mail, and they're rocking their merch in real life. So Dope. it's a little gift, it. a little gift from me to them. You know, for, amazing. For going that so far. you you sold um, fifty. What, what what was our numbers? Uh, 50 in 48 hours was that 
what you said? No, a thousand. A, th- a thousand units, yes. A thousand units in, in 48 hours. Um, but you said you've sold 1,500 or so total uh, mm. time. And did the price change? Because you said there was a, a pre-order of 0.05 ETH and then it, it went up. Yes. So from so anything after a thousand units, it turned into 0.07 ETH. Okay. So if you so if you do the math on that, um, 0.07 on times, three thousand, yeah, 0.07. That's two hundred and ten times five hundred. That's one hundred and five. So, so you made over two hundred fifty thousand dollars in what a month, two months? I'd say roughly almost two months. Yes. The mint and, started on February twenty fifth, and we and we sold out um, mid April. So wow. yeah, so yeah, like two, almost two months. That's incredible. And just so if we understand how crypto and NFTs work, because like m- numbers get thrown around all the time when we're talking like uh, startups and VC and valuation, and so and so is worth X number of billions, or the stock went up here and the crypto went down there, and my portfolio's up and my four hundred one k is down, and like you know, yeah. all of that is like not real money to me. It's like, oh man, they just lost three billion dollars in their valuation, but it's like no one really lost any money and no one really gained any money because all valuations, all fake numbers, it's all fake money. It's I don't really understand any of that. It's same with stocks and even with crypto going up and down. It's like when does it become real money where it's like, oh, my bank account now actually swelled up where I can buy something other than an NFT or other than like more crypto? Do you keep all that in your crypto wallet to then play around with in uh, the NFT space? Or do you cash it out and then reinvest that into your music or invest that into a new site or new? Like, tell me about how that works when it comes to the actual money that's that's gained from from nfts yeah it's like i mean like you said you know everything's very, very back and forth nothing's yeah. pretty nothing's steady you know everything's constantly like you know the volatility the volatility is just insane i mean not not, right. not everybody could deal with that all day um but i look at it like a bucket like you leave a bucket on the road um you know you're kind of putting you're, you're taking a chance that that bucket is going to fill up with water if it rains right so yeah. like if the if that cryptocurrency were to gain in value, it, it it'll start raining money, correct? And so then that bucket starts getting filled up and filled up and filled up, filled up. You have the option of going and grabbing the the lever of that bucket mm-hmm. and pulling it out whenever you want, sure. and and converting that crypto back into USD at any time that you want. Now you might run the risk that when that bucket hits the brim and it's filled with water, but then a super drought comes through which yeah. is a bearish market, that water is going to get dried out. But which is what we're in right now. I mean, we're talking, uh, you're at the peak of when you sold it, it's lost a third of its value, uh, essentially, is where ETH is, is right now. Um, so where? how do you feel about this market? Are you like, have you kept your money in? Have you taken it out? Are you in it for the long haul? Everybody's got different mentalities about, about, you know, bullish and bearish markets. Um, yeah. you know, when I started, when I started off in this space, I was a holder, you know, I was a diamond hander. Um, I still am for certain projects, you know, I want to show my loyalty and I won't sell certain things because they were gifts or they're communities that I'm very, very close with. But mm-hmm. like in a situation like this one, I see it as a great opportunity to buy. It's, it's a great entry point. 
because uh, I know like, you know, sir, I'm very passionate and bullish on certain cryptocurrencies. Bullish means like, I believe in it very you much. believe in them. Yeah. Yes. Um, Which ones do you yeah, believe I mean, in I right see, now? Uh, I love ApeCoin. ApeCoin is definitely like my favorite cryptocurrency at the moment. Um, they are the even though they currency. dropped the ball on the metaverse, their metaverse launch, and and that was a whole shit show. <laughs> they did and they didn't. Okay. I have my arguments on that. Um, sure. People went and bought the other side with with Ethereum mm -hmm. during that drop, when the whole time they were promoting powered by ApeCoin, powered by ApeCoin, powered by ApeCoin. They actually did an exclusive deal with OpenSea so that when the drop happens on, and, and people go and try to buy them on OpenSea, you use their currency. They oh. want you to use their currency. So I did that. I stacked up on ApeCoin and I had enough to buy, to purchase a, a piece of land for my, uh, for myself. Sure. Um, and I bought it with ApeCoin, hmm. and my gas fee was not $3,000, $5,000. It was wow. like 30 bucks. Sure. Yeah. So, because I listened to them and I followed yeah. the rules. Correct. Now, the only thing that I wish they would have done, which this is not a stab at the Yuga Labs ecosystem at all, because I love them. I'm I'm super bullish on the Yuga Labs, yeah. but uh, communication in general is very key in this in this space. People sure. want to be prepared. People want to know when to have liquidity. People want they just want to be ready, you know. And so the communication could have been better, but uh, aside from that, I really do believe in Yuga Labs and Board Ape Yacht Club, Mutant Ape Yacht Club, you know that ecosystem, and. Uh, ApeCoin has huge potential. So that's one that I'm really looking at at the moment. Um, I, of course, Ethereum, I'm an Ethereum maxi. Um, I truly think Ethereum is, this is just a start. If anything, we're, we're being, we're, we're pretty blessed right now to be able to enter at 1975, because in August, they're going to be presenting the next evolution of Ethereum, which right. is Ethereum 2.0, which will be way more gas efficient. And transaction transaction speeds will be, if not double. They're moving incredible. from proof of work to proof of stake. Correct. Um, and yeah. the gas fees, but in part, it's also much better for the environment because yep. it's not Reducing using the as carbon much footprint. energy. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Nice. Um. And and right. I mean, you know, I I am a very 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 passive crypto trader. I I bought a bunch of Ethereum at 2,500. And now we're looking at, like you said, 1,975 or whatever. So it's like, yeah, I've lost a bunch, but it's like, you got to sit on it because it's going to go up and down. And it's just like, if we're where, you know, the stock market was in, in uh, end of 2008 or something like that, it's just like, yeah, you don't sell then, you wait until it comes back up and it's probably going to come yeah. back. And, and during that switch, it'll probably go gangbusters, hopefully. And I'll give you a little bit of a, of kind of like what I do to kind of keep yeah. my hopes up, which kind of, kind of like lessened the blow of seeing my crypto be so volatile. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, with being in the NFT space, you know, I do a lot of research on co new collections, um, ones that are doing well, you know, ones that were like uneath, and then they came back down to like, I don't know, 0.3. And then now they're going crazy out of nowhere. How, yeah. How, yeah. Tell me about that. So I'll give you a perfect example. So I'm, I'm currently part of a collection called the DGen Tunes. Okay. And they're doing insanely well right now. 
Um, for a long time, they were holding at 0.6 Ethereum, which mm-hmm. is currently about $1,200, maybe $1,400 to own Dollars. one. Sure. Uh, correct. Um, in USD. Uh, but they broke. They broke that ceiling and they, and they went nuts. And they're currently sitting at three. Wow. And, so, and, and how does that happen? Yeah, communities and announcements. Okay. And uh, oh. let's say they didn't, they, they had no fun stuff happening in the community. And out of nowhere, they announced, we're doing a free airdrop to all of our holders. You must have two, you must have two of our NFTs to qualify. Right. And then people lose their mind. They're like, I want that free thing. And then boom, yeah. boom, bye, 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 bye. <laughs> so, then, cool. so then all that crypto that you have sitting in your Coinbase that let's say you have a thousand dollars worth of Ethereum, which is 0.5 yep. right now. You could have invested that 0.5 into an NFT uh, that could have done the same thing. Right. So instead of looking at the volatility of the actual cryptocurrency, yep. I look at the volatility of the NFT project that I'm investing in. Interesting. So I'm so, so I am yes. So no matter what the value of my ETH is, I invest into collections that I'm passionate about, that I know for a fact that in a matter of a couple two, three weeks, maybe a month, two months, I'm patient. I don't even look at it that they're going to announce something game-changing and my ETH will double mm. because I believed in their collection. So when you um, when people bought your NFT and all that ETH went into your wallet, did you then immediately reinvest into a bunch of NFTs that you were excited about? Yes. So actually, uh, I just kept my crypto in, in, the, in the crypto ecosystem Mm-hmm. Um, I was able to reinvest to bring more utility for my holders to bring them more excitement. Um, what does that mean? More also, utility for my holders utilities as in like fun things that will, uh, they could benefit off of by simply being a holder of my NFT. Like, what? because I, because I, because I get it. Like, you know, my first NFT is a visual with music attached to it. Sure. But there's very, it's very common in this space that people are used to things like staking and uh, receiving free airdrops, you know, of right. more NFTs for free, you know? What is staking? And staking is where, like, let's say you buy an, you bought my NFT, mm-hmm. but it's, uh, it's almost like when you, when you give uh, money back to the government for like a Roth IRA mm. or like, or like, you, you know what I'm saying? Like where you, they hold you on to your money and then you, hold on you to make your money interest on it. And you make interest on it. Correct. Okay. So whenever, so there's, there's NFT projects where you'll be able to like give them your NFT oh. and you, and you lock it up. And, and in the time it's locked up, you earn a certain currency. Gotcha. And so somebody like, uh, like, uh, for example, this collection called Metroverse, um, they're pretty much like pieces of land, like the mm-hmm. illustration, like the actual NFT, they look like little pieces of land. And if you go to the official website, you have the option of staking it. So then once you stake it, you earn what's called MET, M-E-T. It's an, it's an ERC-20 token. It's on the Ethereum blockchain. So you, you could see it in real time generating mining MET token. Whoa. The, in, in the time that it's staked, you see it in real time. Let's say you wait a month mm-hmm. and you have, I don't know, 1200 MET token. You go and see what the value of MET token is at the time on coin tracker gap or whatever it's called. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and let's say it's 30 cents. You do the math, 0.30 cents times 1200 met, that's $360. So then you can go and convert that into either Ethereum. And so you could buy $360 worth of ETH. Sure. Or you can convert it to USD. So, and does that, uh, unlike crypto, which goes up and down and stocks that go up and down or whatever, is this, does this only go up just like uh, a, a money in a bank savings account where you earn like 2% interest every year or whatever it is? Uh, does, does this, if you stake an NFT or you stake some crypto, it, it only goes up because you're, because of the nature of what it's doing? The only thing that goes up is the amount of net that you're producing a day okay, or the amount of currency that you're earning a day. Um, but what does change is the value of the NFT that's staked and the value of the currency that it's on. Mm, right. So you're, right. so there's two volatile things that you're, you're pretty much yes. base, like basing everything on. So in the time that you stake, you want your NFT to grow in value. You don't want it to go down in value. Right. Because that means the property itself is losing value. You right. know? But then, and you also want the actual currency that you're earning. You want, you want that to grow in value. Mm-hmm. So that way, when it's time to cash out, you know, you're not running the risk that when you staked it, it was 40 cents. And mm-hmm. then when you, when you decided to pull all your med out, it's 20 cents. Right. You see what I'm saying? So it's like, you're getting half so the of interest will gotten. go up essentially if you want to call it interest but the staking amount that you're making yeah. but it's it's marginal it's a bit but the real money is in uh with the value of the nft and the value of the crypto Correct. which goes up and down but it's kind of like when you're thinking about it, it's like well it's the difference between keeping your money in a savings account that has no interest versus keeping your money in uh, a savings account or even a stock or something that has a little bit of interest that goes up. It's like, you're gonna keep your money somewhere. You might as well stake it uh, because you're gonna earn a, a little bit of interest on that too, I guess. Yeah, and like you could, there's this, Ethereum does this thing now where you, uh, if you wanna get in on Ethereum 2.0, which mm-hmm. is their new one coming out, mm-hmm. you can actually give up some ETH and stake oh. it. You can stake your ETH. Like, but I mean, I use ETH so commonly now yeah. that I don't really see myself staking it because once you stake it, you can't get it back until 2.0 is revealed. So, and they've been promising that for four years. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but that's, at least that's what it feels like in this space. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah. I myself staked $500 like a year and a half How ago. How do you stake it? How, like you could do it on Coinbase actually. Oh yeah. They give oh, you the, wow. they give you the option to do that. Yeah. Cool. So once you stake it, you earn a percentage over time of, of, of 2.0. So that way cool. when it, it unlocks, when 2.0 comes out, you actually have a little more extra Ethereum. Mm. Sick. Oh, that's great. Man, Sammy, I can keep we keep talking uh crypto and, and NFTs and all of that, but um I we we are well over time and uh I want to be respectful of your time and and um this is uh, it's such an incredible journey, and I and I uh, am excited to just see where you go next. Because man, you you've had essentially three different music careers, uh, and you're only are you even thirty yet? How old are you? 
I just turned 30 May 4th. Happy birthday. Amazing. Thank uh, you, brother. <laughs> so uh, pretty incredible. Um, and thank you for giving that education on uh, NFTs and Web3 and crypto. And, and um, you know, it's it's uh, I think we're all learning here and to kind of learn from a musician like yourself. That's the best way for, I think, a lot of us to at least uh, have our entrance point is through someone who we can relate to um, and you understand what we're all going through and we can we understand where you came from and what uh, you know led you here. So thank you for sharing your, your whole journey with this. I have one final question that I ask everybody who comes on the show. Uh, what does it mean to you to make it in the new music business? Man, uh, honestly, especially with what I've been through in the music industry with struggling with identity, and mm -hmm. coming into a genre that, you know, I was trying to sh shake things up and, you know, bring a new taste to country music and, you know, bring awareness to, you know, to the genre that they need some more Hispanic culture. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like the biggest win is being recognized uh, for your authentic self um, and just doing what's true to you mm. and winning and winning, doing what you're good at and what you were meant to do. Um, I think living like living a lie, especially as a musician, singing, singing songs that you don't enjoy, uh, dressing a certain way, uh, portraying yourself as somebody that you're not. It's, it, it, I can't imagine living a life like that. So mm. I'm just very blessed that, you know, my life has been steered towards a direction where I can fully be myself. And I've never seen so much love and support from my fans. Um, and it, it all clicked when I started being myself a hundred percent. And so mm -hmm. I think that that's the, the biggest win is just sticking to your guns. You know what I mean? Sammy Ariaga, Thank you so much. This is great. Hey, my pleasure. Have a good day. Today's episode was edited by Maxton Hunter, theme music by Brassroots District, and produced by all the great people at Ari's Take. This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features, annual fee unlimited uploads and you keep a hundred percent of your royalties check out districtkid.com